You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Welcome, everybody, to Feel Good Friday. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, And, of course, we got a really great show lined up for you today. Got a few guests, in the uh, one in the studio and one on link, uh, where we'll be talking about CCER, Center for Education. No. Okay, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. There's two C's. Yeah. Uh, Center for Education Results. Really excited to dive into the work that they do. I've been learning a little bit because I know several people that are over there working and doing great work. So we'll be diving in with them. And of course, uh, after our first break, you know, you were going to be bringing on T-Dub, uh, art queen of Converge. She's going to be telling us about some of the art news that's out there as well as um, a bit of a little, you know, uh, showing of episode seven of Art of the Matter. I can't believe it's already episode seven that show is going so well so welcome welcome you know it's a great feel good friday energy right here in the black media matter studios um we want to definitely thank you and tell you right now you know please tag and share the stream with people that you feel could benefit from some feel good friday energy uh coming from converge media you know one of the things i want to say is that i'm just so appreciative of everybody pouring their love and support into converge and all the shows that we have you know i i have the pleasure of seeing it from this angle um and also experiencing it when i'm out there in community and people tell me how excited they are about the work that we are doing here. So kudos to everybody who is supporting us. Of course, we've been keeping this message alive and well. We want you to know anywhere that you find your favorite podcast, you guys can also find Feel Good Friday and all of our shows right here at Converge Media. You guys can check out SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Google Music, Anywhere that you find your favorite podcast, you guys can just search Converge Media Network. Um, and also, you know, as we see right now, mass mandates no longer on uh, flights. Uh, we're seeing a bunch of different changes here in our state where, you know, there's no longer mass mandates in a lot of different places. Some private businesses are doing it. We want to keep you informed with hereforuswa.org. It's a great opportunity for you to get informed by, you know, some folks that said we need to have some culturally relevant and responsive communication out there, you know, by gathering black media makers and content creators and producers and black people from community from all sectors of our brilliant black community out there to share their stories of maybe why they were hesitant maybe why they got the vaccine go ahead and check out hereforuswa.org so that you guys can stay engaged and stay informed um so i want to do a special thing right now before we go to break and a few weeks ago one of my parents friends who's been in my life for so many years sent me a poem that he wrote and i'm going to pull it up real quick because i um i told him you know what this is an amazing message and it really fits our feel good friday theme so just give me one second i want to make sure i get it all the way right because i didn't memorize it but i um i think that you guys will appreciate this this is i realized from michael rhodes I realize even as my yesterdays helped form me into what I am today, to what I am today helps determine what I will become tomorrow. My effort and choices will decide my achievements. I realize respect for the rights and feelings of others is an affirmation of life for all mankind. For life is a continuing circle and the value of each life circle is the same. 
I realize my idealism may be greater than reality. While I will not sacrifice those ideals for expediency, neither shall I throw myself against the barricades of life for no avail. I realize becoming more responsible depends upon my ability to respond in conforming, in confronting or accepting life's situations. I take another step in becoming the kind of person I will be. I realize youth has the advantages of time, just as age has the experiences and wisdom of time. The knowledge of the past can be interwoven with my tomorrows. I realize the physical, the mental, and the spiritual make up the whole and all must find a working relationship. To ignore one is to divide myself into a less harmonious being. That's I realized from Michael Rhodes. And I thought to myself, what a great way for us to cement ourselves on this Feel Good Friday, as I'm always encouraging you all to see yourself as a part of the solution. And I'll add one here. I realize that when we all see ourselves as a part of the solution, the better our world becomes and the better our neighborhoods become, the better our lives become because we are all partaking in something to create those better outcomes. Thanks so much, Michael Rose, for sending me that. And I appreciate everybody for watching. Of course, we got a great show. So we're going to be bringing up T-Dub after this short break. There it is. Art Queen right here on Converge Media. Later in the show, we'll be talking to Bernadette. And also, we're going to be following up with Dr. DeGroy. I'm so excited to have everybody here. Stay tuned, you guys, after this short break. T-Dub is coming up next. When COVID first hit, I was very afraid. It was so much things that I had to keep inside because I didn't know where to place my feelings. Most of my information for COVID is from my own research. I'm a doctor in educational leadership. And when the FDA approved Pfizer, it helped me realize that the vaccination is healthy. We don't want to be left behind because we're not taking the vaccine, but we want to get as much information as possible so that we are putting ourselves in better hands and not at great risk. Hey there, it's Trey Holiday. And of course, Besa and I had to take a trip back to Market Street Shoes to grab some items. They always know what to show us. And let me tell you, we both spent quality time to be sure we collected some amazing additions to our wardrobes. They have some of the most unique bags, shoes, and accessories. I mean, the whole shebang. It's always a good time when I get to shop with my girl, Baker. Make sure you go check out Market Street Shoes, y'all, and you too can walk out with some dope gear. Welcome back, everybody, to Feel Good Friday. I'm your host, Trey Holiday. And of course, you guys know we got to start, start the show off right with our girl, T-Dub. T-Dub, welcome, welcome. Video link today. How are you? How we doing? We looking clean? We good? Yeah, looking clean. Yeah, okay. looking good, sounding good. You know, great. I'm so glad that you took some time out of your busy schedule to be with us this morning. Absolutely. You know, I had to check in with you on Feel Good Friday, Trey Holiday. Yeah, come on. You know how it is now. I mean, you have been always staying busy. You know, I, I'm glad that you, I saw that message you put out there in the airwaves. You said, look, your girl was down with COVID, but look at you springing back. I'm so glad to see you doing better. <laughs> Yes, yes. I'm so thankful to be healthy on the other side of that. 
Um, just a word to the wise to everybody out there, vaccinated or not, wear your mask. They are the only thing that has worked for me so far. I am vaccinated and still got the COVID. So, you know, make sure you're out here. If you're out here in the streets, enjoying this art here in Seattle and around the country. Make sure you're staying safe. Absolutely. I'm so glad you put that message out there. I think so many people need to realize that, you know, the mask is the one thing that we can do that makes it simple. And you are so right, whether you're vaccinated or not, you know, because there's people that are not vaccinated. They're like, man, you know, vaccinated people are getting it too. You know, yeah, I'm glad I didn't get the vaccine. So there's a lot of talk out there. I'm glad that you put it out there, T-Dub. But of course, you know, we get to dive into some things all the way. Art, go ahead and start us off. Absolutely. So I think Salman has a nice little overlay for us for the art news for this week. As you know, I am in Vegas this week, so not experiencing too much art in Seattle this week. But there's still a lot going on and coming up in the in the coming days. Um, Trayana, I don't know if you know this, but the Mint Lounge now has a monthly party called Feel Good Friday. So that actually kicks off tonight right there in Seattle at the Mint Lounge. You got some dope lineup of DJs um, hosted by It's Trent. Um, it's a free party. If you want to get your groove on, get your dance on in Seattle tonight, Friday night at the Mint Lounge, Feel Good Friday is happening. Um, and then tomorrow we actually have uh, Wanawari. Not tomorrow. Is that tomorrow? Yes, tomorrow, Saturday. Wanawari is hosting Making Spoken Words Speak, which is a writing workshop with poet and educator Rajni Eddins. Um, through writing prompts and vulnerable sharing, participants can create their poems, stories, and things of that nature. So definitely go check out Wanawari for their free spoken word um, workshop. Um, so that should be a really fun thing to happening on Saturday. And then... Sunday, April 23rd from 6 to 10 p.m., the station on Beacon Hill brings you Yes Ma Night Market. Um, this event will feature live music, food and drinks, art, plants, and much more. There's a lot of really dope vendors that are going to be there. Um, so definitely go check out um, the station on Beacon Hill for Sunday evening for Yes Ma Night Market. Um, your last opportunity to witness Pacific Northwest Ballet's 2022 presentation of Kent Stoll's Swan Lake is this Sunday, April 24th. Definitely want to get a shout out to um, Pacific Northwest Ballet for keeping us in the know about all the stuff they have going on there. Um, if you're into the ballet, if you're into those classical arts, definitely go check out Swan Lake. Um, so definitely check that out. Uh, also, if you're looking for a job in the art sector in Seattle, the Fry Art Museum is currently hiring. Um, they have a number of a variety of positions available. So if you're interested, definitely go check out the Fry Museum. They are looking for your artistic and creative expertise. Um, also, not art news, but still incredibly important. Uh, Crosscut Festival is happening May 3rd through the 7th. Um, this event is jam packed with notable figures in politics and literature, as well as journalism. Um, including Matt Damon, Ijeoma Aluo, Anthony Fauci, and Pulitzer Prize winner Nicole Hannah-Jones, who's responsible for the 1619 Project. So Crosscut Festival is a huge event that's going to be happening again the weekend of May 3rd through the 7th. Um, just giving you an update on that. Definitely go check that out. Um, really cool stuff happening in Seattle in all sectors. Um, and finally, Emoja Fest 2022. They have announced their dates August 5th through the 7th. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> happening at Juggins Park, as always. You know, Emotion Fest is a big event for us in the city. Brings out all the vendors, all the family, all the friends. Um, again, happens secret weekend, so definitely go check that out um, and find out more information at EmojaFestNorthwest.com. So that's it. That's all the art stuff we got going on, Trey. A lot of stuff. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, a lot of stuff. So I get to do my own breakdown because I'm like, oh, my word. When I when you come on with all this art news, C-Dub, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Let's get it, Seattle, because it really is a showcasing of black brilliance all throughout our city. I love the fact that we have so much of it that we get to really resonate in that. And, you know, uh, I got to start off with my brother, Rajni Eddins. I yes. grew up with him, honestly, and he is so phenomenal. I have several of his books. Um, but when you talk about spoken word and really being able to transcend it into written format, um, poetry, the way that he has utilized his skill set to, you know, host workshops for young people. He was involved in a lot of after school programs back in the days through Seattle Public Schools. Um, he just has a real litany of how he has utilized his talent to, you know, not just do it and, and, and sell it, but to also stay engaged with community, T-Dub. Absolutely. And Rajni has been a fixture in the community for as long as I can remember. So definitely, if you are interested in the written arts of any shape or form, he is an amazing educator. And Wanawari is an amazing space to be able to engage in that type of activity. So definitely look out for that. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Wanawari. They're always doing some dope stuff. Curated absolutely. events. Uh, they are so on point with it. And I love that team over there. Uh, you know, and, and now you're talking about Swan Lake. I mean, this is the last weekend to go see this show. And I got to say, I mean, you know, Omari kept, you know, like poking fun at me because I was just such a fangirl having Jonathan and Angelica here, uh, you know, to share their experience of why this show is so important to them. I, I mean, you hear about Swan Lake kind of out there. It's one of those main, you know, shows that a lot of dance theater companies do across the country um, and globally. And the idea that this is such an iconic story but the way they do it is so phenomenal. I was like, you know what? After I interviewed them, I was like, you know what? No, they're doing one more show. I got to go see the show. So I'm going to take my sister tomorrow. Uh, but I I'm telling you, it was fantastic and worth every three hours. <laughs> as long as it is, it was worth every single hour and every single second. T-Dub, I was blown away. That's amazing. I'm so sad that, you know, I wasn't able to catch it this uh, this go around, but definitely if you have the opportunity to partake in this type of art again, Ken Stoll's uh, Swan Lake is a classic show. It's been around forever, you know, and to be able to see artists of this generation take that story on and present it in that way is absolutely something you, you just don't want to miss. So I'm glad that, you know, you and your family get a chance to go see that. I'm sad I don't get to, but I'll catch it the next time for sure. Absolutely. It's definitely one to to try to catch uh, when it comes back around. And, you know, of course, Emoja Fest. I mean, this is something that has been near and dear to my heart. I'm just so grateful that I've been able to be on the planning team for the last few years and see it come to fruition the way that it is and, and the way that it does. It's such a, a, a citywide like community effort and really showcasing, again, the Central District. I'm so thankful that it gets to come back to Jenkins Park this year. That's a huge feat to bring it back for a, a three a three day weekend event that it always has been you know shout out to everybody who's making that happen but this is you know not it's an explosion of vendors but what i love seeing is the amount of art that we get yes. to see there's so many art vendors that come out there sell their pieces we have people doing live painting on jean jackets and i'm, I'm telling you it is an explosion of art as well Absolutely. Yeah. And it's definitely a family affair for me. You know, 
I set up, you know, teed up customs. We have our booths there every year. And, you know, again, just having it back in the home turf is definitely so, so important. Jenkins Park, Park is a huge part of, you know, making sure that that event is as big as it is, you know, and seeing all the, you know, legacy Seattle families there, everybody is really just like a family reunion for a lot of us. So I love setting up at Emoja Fest. I always look forward to it every year. Catch me there this year, you know, selling them some new stuff I got going on. I can't give away too much just yet. But yeah, it's going to be a really, really great time. Oh, super dope. You're, I know you're going to have some stuff. You know, I'm going to be trying to peruse the booth. That's the one thing. Sometimes working the event meant that I didn't have the time to peruse the booths like I like to. So I'm going to make sure I carve out some time to come and visit you at the booth. Um, thank you for giving us that lineup. I mean, clearly there's so many things happening in the art world. Love to see it all coming together. Uh, but, you know, of course, we got to give some time for Art of the Matter, Episode 7. Man, tell us all about it. Yes, I am so excited to bringing you guys episode seven again, Monday, May 2nd. Of course, we had to skip this past Monday because I was sadly sick. It was definitely a bummer, but your girl is back and ready to bring you this Art of the Matter news. We are featuring this episode, Carolyn Hitt, who is a dear, dear friend of mine, director of Blue Cone Studios, who I consider the mayor of Capitol Hill because she just holds it down for us when it comes to the art, when it comes to community and collaboration. So we sat down with her at Blue Cone Studios, catching up with her, getting um, you know, in the know about her process and things of that nature and how she's been, you know, coping with the pandemic and stuff. And yeah, it's going to be a really, really great episode again, Monday, May 2nd. Tune in with us live. Carolyn will be in the studio with us for the live show as well. So it's going to be a great show. You know, I, I love that you are able to do both and right to be out in the field, you know, really experiencing the art of the artists that you're featuring and then sometimes being able to bring them right back here to really discuss uh, some of those segments in depth. It's a really great uh, approach T-Dub, to showcasing art. And I, I got to say, you know, I'm interested in this episode because, you know, as you talk to different artists, there's a different way that COVID impacts somebody who's a studio owner. You know what I mean? Sure. Like there's something really unique about that experience. We talk about it from business owners perspective all the time um, and, and talking to different small business owners, but it will be really interesting to hear her take on how she was able to maneuver because so much of it is, you know, when, when things are shut down and people can't peruse, man, how do you keep it going? So I love that you were able to dive in with her at Blue Cone Studios. Looking forward to it as always, T-Dub. Thanks for all of your work and all your effort, making sure that we stay up to date on all things art right here on Feel Good Friday. Appreciate you. Enjoy your time in Vegas. We'll see you when you return. All right, Trey. Appreciate you as always. All right. Peace. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I could talk to T-Dub about art for a very long time. But of course, we got other guests coming up and joining me in the studio. Up next is Bernadette Miracle. She's going to be telling us about Center for Education Results. Looking forward to diving into the great work they're doing over there. Stay tuned after this short break, you guys. You're watching Feel Good Friday. As a non-binary Black femme, a lot of my identity is rooted in body. Once the vaccine was introduced, it was really difficult to think in terms of safety as well as autonomy. As a Black American, the relationship with government is very complicated. It's hard to trust. A lot of these conspiracies are really impacting people making a decision, especially with Black folks, to be clear about what we're doing. I think it's just a well-rounded conversation to see what's best for us.
Welcome back, everybody, to Feel Good Friday. I am your host, Trey Holiday, and joining me in studio right now is Bernadette Miracle from Community Center for Education Results. Welcome, welcome to the Black Media Matter Studios. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're so glad that you're you were able to make it today. And, you know, this is really, really awesome because someone in community, Carlina, who has been a, a part of Critical Conversation, said, look, there's this amazing event going on, you know, with this amazing institution. And I can't wait to dive into the details of the event with Dr. DeGruy. But tell us a little bit more about Center for uh, Community Center for Education Results. Yeah, a lot of people know of the Community Center for Education Results as a backbone organization for the Roadmap Project, which is the six um, school districts that are wholly housed in South King County. So Renton, Kent, Auburn, Highline, Tukwila, Federal Way, but we're also the south end of Seattle Public Schools as well. And so we do some really great work around data and community engagement. And I've been there. I started pretty much the day that the governor said, it's time for y'all to stay home. And so for two years have been uh, leading the Community Center for Education Results from a space of leading with race and centering community in our work now. So not quite the same old CCER that most people knew about, but uh, as we uh, really embrace the black leadership that we have at the organization now, it's uh, led us to really great events like the um, Be the Healing Symposium with Dr. DeGruy. You know, this is really interesting because I remember seeing, uh, I think it was a press release that came out announcing this black leadership and how you guys were kind of transitioning and centering mm -hmm. uh, black voices at, at the, you know, real center of your work. But Tell us about that, because I think that a lot of people, you know, who may not have known um, CCER beforehand are just now really getting to see how, how much you guys are embedded in community. How has that been for you and the role that you play there? Yeah, it's been really fascinating um, through a very extensive um, interview process as we were transitioning from a founding executive director into who would lead the organization through the next 10 years. Um, I was really clear throughout my process that I would be leading with race and particularly eradicating anti-blackness and centering community in that work. Um, through redlining, through history, we know who's been pushed into what areas of our county and even our city. And so to not center community, which is where most of our black residents live, um, in our work as a community center seems like that was the next iteration of our organization that we needed to do. Um, that I came on as a black femme leader um, was pretty much a, a given that I was going to be leading with race. Um, we, in the process of people um, moving on as they've gone through COVID protocols and realize that as a community center, if you can't be in community, uh, that's hard work to do. Mm -hmm. And how do you evolve into a space that uh, really continues to center community and not our agenda about what our community needs. And so it's been a really um, joyous, actually, <laughs> engagement in that I am really lucky to get to work with folks like Carlina and Faiza Bradford, and they're both our um, uh, uh, senior Director of Community Engagement and our Senior Director now of Anti-Racist Operations. And it's just been such a pleasure to get to center Black leadership in the work that we do. Well, I just got to say congratulations. Congratulations Thanks. for landing this amazing role uh, here as Executive Director. Yes. So Correct. so you're really the head honcho here, Bernadette. <laughs> and, you know, oftentimes that can come with other community pressures, too, because then you're stepping into something and people are like, man, now you got to you got to be about that talk. 
walk. You know, you got to be about that walk and not just talk the talk. Um, and, and I think so much of that is really in how you guys are approaching this work. And shout out to Faiza because, you know, um, she was really the first person that I was connected with that was at CCER. And she was the one telling me, man, you know, we're, we're doing a whole different kind of rebranding almost. We are, you know, uh, uh, lifting up the veil and we're really going to be even more embedded in community. Um, but you're right in terms of COVID having a hit in the way that you do that. What are some of the ways that you guys were able to maneuver to stay connected to community in your work? Yeah, a lot of our maneuvering has been around just unhooking from like white culture and saying like, we only have to do things a certain way. Um, a lot, a, a really concrete example for us is uh, we're funded primarily by foundations and grants and grant makers. And at the same time of COVID, our country went through a racial awakening. And uh, in that space, as you know, there were lots of commitments made in the region around supporting Black leadership and supporting Black communities. And our pushback in that space has been the support we need is for you to unhook from doing the traditional white ways of philanthropy or even thinking about funding organizations. And so our timelines of being engaged with community rarely ever line up with the timelines for funders. And uh, we had to have our own little awakening in our organization with these brilliant other Black femme leaders where we had to say, you know, are we going to keep doing things the same way that we've always done them with different faces attached to them? Or are we really going to disrupt that? And part of that disruption was saying, yeah, we're not going to apply for that funding because we haven't been in community to ask them directly what they want yet. Um, be out of respect of the disproportionality of who's being impacted by COVID. So sometimes you have to say, it's not okay for us to convene that big group. But we're at a place right now where we feel like it is kind of okay <laughs> to get together and be really safe. And so I'm really excited about the event we have coming up Mother's Day weekend. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, I think, a, a real testament to that approach, right? This this event. Um, and, and, and really, I, you know, my question to you is because this is this is big shoes to fill. You know, mm -hmm. what in your past and your experience led you to applying and now leading CCER? Yeah, that is such a phenomenal question because it is big shoes to fill. Our organization is 10 years old. I um, came in after a founding executive director who had a very strong vision around what the work needed to be. I was around when the organization was funded, working in Highline Public Schools, um, doing community engagement and diversity work there. Um, but I wasn't the founder of this organization. And it's been really interesting in, in terms of like, how do you fill these shoes and how do you like go about your work? And I think in the interview space of, again, being really clear about if you're going to bring in a black leader, I need you to know that the leadership is going to be different. And so that whole space of everything from establishing a minimum salary at our organization that was actually a living wage for people who live in Seattle where we work, um, all the way to getting at like, what does it mean to not burn out the people who are predominantly people of color working in a nonprofit doing this work by making sure that we have flexible, unlimited PTO and making sure that not only we say it on paper, but that we actually take the time to take care and have a culture of care um, with each other in our organization. I think it's so, so key, Miss B. I, I'll tell you, you know, as a person who works in nonprofit myself, I understand, you know, we have equity at King County Equity now. We have equity in our name. Right. And so a part of it for us was 
we also have to walk that walk when we're talking about creating equitable solutions for black families and eliminating the wealth divide. What does that look like internally for us as an organization? And uh, I really appreciate the fact that, you know, philanthropy is hearing you know, a very similar message from different messengers with regard to how they do business. Um, So much of this has been about disrupting the kind of colonialist system of philanthropy and having these strict regiments on how money can be spent. We've been pressing uh, philanthropic partners to understand you need more unrestricted funds because you never know how an organization is going to flourish if everything has to be directed to this particular program and this particular activity and this particular access, it really means that, unfortunately, uh, as we've seen in the past, a lot of nonprofits end up building their entire organization based off of what will be funded versus what they really were, you know, enacted to do, why why they were created. And sometimes the message gets murky, right? right. And so I think we what we saw in the last couple of years is a lot of funding towards COVID, COVID education and, you know, COVID connection and uh, COVID marketing. And, you know, hey, we need you to, you know, uh, talk to the community about why they're not getting vaccinated. There was just so much money that was coming in and flooding into organizations to be COVID related activities, which no organization was doing before. Uh, right. So it, did, it didn't exist. It didn't <laughs> exist. So I just, I really appreciate hearing that you guys are also taking that approach. I think it's necessary because uh, more and more philanthropic partners, I think, are really getting that message. Um, how has it been for you in terms of establishing some of those relationships, and, you know, now with you as an ED and them kind of being able to see this maybe adjustment and transition at CCER? Yeah, it's been, I, um, I did not come from an executive director role into this role. This is my first executive director role. And it was actually a blessing to have a founder ED who had already established a lot of relationships. And so those transferred over to, okay, this is B that's coming in now and it's going to be executive director. And I, I was really fortunate in that um, I didn't start my job, as I mentioned earlier, until um, end of March uh, of 2020. And I had a whole three months of... Um, exchange with the uh, past executive director and myself and doing the introduction. So that steep hill to climb of like, who do I call? Who am I supposed to go talk to? uh, Was made really easy for me. And that ease made a lot of space for me to show up authentically as myself Mm -hmm. in all those spaces. And I had been a known entity because of the work I did at my previous organization. But um, when they were like, oh, it's not your title to be the like senior director of racial equity impact. This is your work. This is your life passion. Um, And seeing me embody that in the executive director role has been super helpful in working with funders. Um, Another aspect that's been super helpful is there is a collaboration called the Black Joy Collaborative that is primarily people who work in areas that touch mostly education, K-12 education in particular, but getting into the pipeline to make sure that folks are career ready as well. But um, it's a group of Black leaders on the architect's table who say, this is what we need for our Black students in education. If you're going to talk about, we're going to reimagine education, and you've shown us that all the things that we've said for forever you need to do. We've talked about the digital divide well before COVID was a thing. And then all of a sudden overnight, you can make sure that people had laptops. So it's not a matter of we don't have the resources. It's we don't have the will. So how do we continue 
to make sure that that will is there. And in my case, what I love about the Black Joy Collaborative, about working with Dr. Joy <laughs> DeGruy, is I really focus on Black Joy. Uh, it's really it's really easy in doing anti-racist work for people to focus on the Black trauma and to be saviors, especially in the Pacific Northwest, and want to swoop in and save something. But I'm like, we're saving ourselves. There's lots in our community that you can invest in, but we're not going to let you just come in, philanthropists, and say, that's great that you're doing that, but we actually want your messaging to switch to you should get vaccinated. Yeah. Like, if that's not what the community wants to hear and that's not what the community is engaging in, it's about building the trust, not only of the community to these funders who've constantly said, we're doing this on your behalf, and it never has actually changed the impact on their actual lives, to the funders being able to trust community who they say that they're working on behalf of. And I think that's a joyous work. Uh, yeah, no, it's joyous indeed. And, you know, uh, you just talked there a bit, and it really leads into my next question, because doing this work around education, particularly, you know, breaking down some of the barriers of the colonialist way of doing education. Um, I mean, we talk about public schools versus charters. We hear that a lot because we, we are wanting some new approaches to education. I mean, particularly in black and brown families where we see these large disproportionate numbers of students who are still not meeting the metrics that are still falling through the gaps. Um, it takes some uh, in, incredible passion, right, uh, from your personal life for you to say, this is what I'm dedicating my life to. What is it that is that driver for you, Ms. B, <laughs> to, to do this work? Because it is serious work and it's going to take uh, a long time to try to dismantle some of those uh, I think characteristics and pillars that we have known as a part of, of public education in particular to really start bringing in anti-racist culture and right. changing the ways that they even look at um, detention or discipline or, you know, some of these other things when we talk about sitting and learning versus exploratory learning, there's a lot there to consider. But what is that passionate drive for you that says, this is where I'm going to make my mark? You know, as a black woman, it's all family. <laughs> it's all family. That is what um, drives me. From my own family growing up with, um, I'm the oldest of three siblings, and we all have such very different education trajectories. I remember having to go with my mom to um, truancy court for my sister, who was not about trying to be in school and being told that she needed, she's a very stubborn Taurus, who was like, I am not going to sit and get, like, this is not doing it for me. I was the quote unquote perfect kid, got straight A's, got that first B, thought it was traumatic. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what we're doing here if I'm getting B's kind of space. And my brother was an athlete and was pushed through a lot of academia so that he could perform on the field. And so we have three very different education experiences. And it felt to me like I was, quote unquote, the lucky one, right? Like I lucked into being able to do it the American U.S. way so that I could get to the space that I am today. And when I look at their lives and my life, um, we're all very happy, successful people, but took very different journeys to get there. Mm -hmm. And so that that experience of feeling like I was the lucky one um, was one that got me into education to begin with. And now I have a six-year-old going on 42 <laughs> and a four-year-old who's trying to keep up with the six-year-old going on 42. And it's just a fascinating experience to watch them go through their education journey. As a staunch advocate for public education, I find myself in this coming out of COVID environment, looking at charter schools as options for my kids, looking at is homeschooling really an option for me? And 
am I carving out that space for myself at my organization and for the people that I work with and the communities we're being of service to? So absolutely to the multiple different avenues that will fit the best for each particular student you're working with. And it, it, it surprises me that that's not so much an opportunity in one of our most needy communities, our black communities, um, <clears throat> given that here in the Pacific Northwest, there is a lot of wealth and there is a lot of choice for a lot of people mm -hmm. except for us. And so I want to change that. I just love that. And, you know, I, I always get so inspired by what drives people because so much community centric work, it is beyond a nine to five. It is a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And I, I embody that in the things that I do and the hats yeah. I wear. And I get it, right? I get it because we are, we care so much about our community, about black families, about black wealth and the ways that we can go about that. And so I just really appreciate that story. Before I let you go, I, I want to hear, you know, now you have, uh, you know, almost a couple years of really mm -hmm. like settling into the role now over a couple years. Um, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the successes you guys have seen since you've been ED now at CCER, some of the things that you're like the most proud of since you've been there. I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that um, coming into the organization, there seemed to be <clears throat> a little bit of this like anxiousness and anxiety around talking about race to just to begin with. And as we built a core of black leadership at this organization, it didn't all come in at the same time I came in. Like uh, uh, Carlina has been there um, since almost the beginning. And so she was there, but we have flipped our organization from being a predominantly white organization to a predominantly people of color and predominantly black organization mm -hmm. in two years. And it's the magnetism of the joy of like, we can do this work together and care with one another. That is a culture shift at our organization that I'm super proud of. Um, some other things that I'm really proud of are just our relationship with philanthropists and with funders who we already had really great relationships with. But to your point, we were in a space of what's the program that you can do to like get closer to the goal of getting students to have college credentials and being able to like vulnerably and directly say to them, I don't know that that's the goal. Like, should it be that you have to have a college degree in this region in order to have a living wage? And if you should, then why should we have to pay for it? Like we've paid for a lot <laughs> in our education journey. And so why not have funders or um, through scholarships or um, the organizations that are making quite a lot <laughs> in this space of this pandemic pay for those kinds of things. So there are a number of things, but I'm most excited about this kind of cusp that we're on where we're being much more direct and bold about like when we say lead with race, we're talking about um, eradicating anti-Blackness, but most specifically, most recently, we've talked about how do we become a pro-Black organization that is focused on Black joy so that our shoulders can drop and we can really get in joy around this work that we're doing for our community rather than always feeling like it's a struggle and a fight. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I'm so excited to be connected to you, Ms. B. Thank you for being here and for sharing with us the work of CCER and also the work of you as the new executive director, taking yeah. it into the ethosphere of <laughs> Black joy. You can look right there in that camera and make sure that people understand how to connect with CCER. If they want to be a, if there's a funder out there, if there's a volunteer <laughs> out there, how do they tap in? If you want to tap in, just absolutely be in contact with me, Bernadette Miracle. Um, I, uh, 
Uh, my information will be available through the show. I'm on Instagram, uh, a little bit on Facebook. Um, but uh, we're out in the community. And next, uh, during Mother's Day weekend, we'll be having the Be the Healing Symposium with Dr. Joy um, DeGruy, who will be on next. And you can go on Eventbrite and look up Be the, Joy, be the Healing Symposium um, in SeaTac on Mother's Day weekend and come join us. It's free. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for bringing Dr. DeGruy here. I am excited to talk to her after this, but I really appreciate you setting the foundation so we know what CCR is all about. And congratulations again on all that you're bringing to the space. Thanks, Trey. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. You guys, I told you it's going to be feeling good in here. We're talking about Black Joy. We're going to continue this discussion because we got Dr. DeGruy coming up after this. Joy is her first name, so you know Joy is going to be on the menu in terms of discussion. Stay tuned after this short break. You're watching Feel Good Friday. When the pandemic hit, it did affect me. As a barber, I had my own personal reasons why I didn't get vaccinated. At the time, I didn't check the actual source. I thought the vaccine was developed too fast, but I was talking to a doctor and he was telling me more about the vaccine and what it could do to protect us and our family. I wanted to get back to that once was, right? I do feel safe knowing that I am vaccinated. I just hope what I'm saying is reaching into people's heads to know that this is the best decision for all of us. Welcome back, everybody, to Feel Good Friday. I'm your host, Trey Holiday, And <laughs> joining me up next, we have Dr. DeGruy in the building. Hi, Dr. Joy DeGruy. Hi, how are you? I'm well, I'm well. So great to be with you here. It's great, it's great for me. I was listening to, to uh, Bernadette, and my goodness, what, what a wonderful, exciting uh, just project she has going on and, and everyone else involved. It's pretty amazing. It really is. And, and you know, I, I got a chance to kind of dive into your background a little bit. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm blown away at the amazing things that you have been doing. Just make sure you share with the audience a bit about who you are. Th there's a, a whole list and we're going to make sure we drop the website in the comments so people can follow up. But just tell us a bit about, you know, the history of you and your legacy. Well, you know, that's it's really interesting. I'm probably best known for a book I wrote called Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, America's Legacy of Enduring Injury and Healing. I wrote the book uh, like in 2005. It kind of has reemerged, especially with uh, more hard science evidence of epigenetic transfer of trauma. And I think for me, I mean, I my family's from Louisiana. I grew up um with a very strong sense of my blackness. My father, who um, only went to the sixth grade, he, um, he called himself an Asiatic black man before black was considered beautiful. Uh, and just raised us, my mother and father raised us with a real strong sense of who we were. And then I was faced with some things, even young in life, that just didn't make sense to me uh, when I would hear things that people that look like me would say, oh gosh, you know, she was really pretty, you know, even though she was dark. You know, or he was really attractive. He was light skinned, you know, and, and, and so as I began to grow into my own awareness of, of anti-blackness, if you will, and how we have, had internalized some of that, I decided to do a deep dive. So I looked at what that that injury, that assault on our blackness had and and what are the you know residual impacts of 300 years of trauma followed by more trauma. Uh, Jim Crow, lynching, all the way up to George Floyd, 
we are truly um, miraculous people in that way. We're amazing people that we didn't just endure it. We were able to really thrive in spite of it. But we did not arrive here without some injuries. And we and my the whole tr- my whole trajectory was changing that uh, the new generation. What are we passing along intentionally and unintentionally? And what of those things that we're passing along that are residual impacts of our past that we need to let go of? And what of that past built our sense of who we are, who the shoulders that held us that we want to keep and move forward? So my work was about that. So at the end of the day, you know, I am I am working with CCR. I'm working with uh, the Roadmap Project and, of course, Seattle Public Schools um, to in the Be the Healing symposiums that as a result of the MacArthur Foundation, I have done and I'm doing all the way up the West Coast. And hopefully we will start that East Coast swing um, in the coming year. But it's 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 been a story for me. I grew I graduated from Crenshaw High School. I went back to Crenshaw High School uh, recently, which is where the symposium in Los Angeles was. And for me, it was full circle because my teacher, my well, even not my teacher, my guidance counselor, middle-aged white woman told me that I was not college material. Mm. In fact, she said, you needn't even try. You don't have the capacity. I have four degrees, three advanced degrees. <laughs> um, I just, my only regret is that she didn't live long enough for me to go back and blow her hair back. So <laughs> the, the thing that it was so amazing to me though, and that I had to appreciate about that is that my family knew when I went home and you know they ignored her, she was foolish. Of course, I was going to go to college. But how many people did she poison? How many hearts did she break? You know, and, and what I regret is I didn't have the words. I couldn't articulate. I was a kid, you know, but someone needed to stop her. And she probably, you know, she was tenured. She, you know, probably lived out her days harming black kids. You know, it should never have been there. And so this effort that I see that's happening in Seattle, this is such a powerful move towards, and as an elder, I'm 64 years old, I'm, I'm really clear uh, about my role at this point in the journey, at this point in my evolution and development as an elder, is to be able to impart wisdom, is to be able to not always have the mic, because one of the problems, I remember uh, Randall Robinson um, you know, he, he actually stated this and he said that a lot of our black leaders came to do good, but stayed to do well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they get in the way. They don't know how to pass the baton. Right. So so recognizing as we develop each of us where you are in your life, where everyone is in their life is to be able to be your full, healthy and authentic self, to be able to lean in and embrace you know, black space. And so that everything is not centered in a dominant culture's perspective of reality. So that's what Be The Healing is about. And that's where I am today. Well, I just got to say, you know, first and foremost, thank you for post-traumatic slave syndrome. I am telling you, it is such a staple with regard to how we approach work around equity around eliminating the wealth divide around, you know, black liberation. So much of what you put in that book has resonated with thought leaders and change makers globally that we, we understand the, 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 
uh, you know, the ways that our body carries certain things from generation to generation. And you are right that epigenetics has really opened up in the last few years, right, to really understand some right. of the chemical uh, uh, dynamics of what that really means. But, you know, your work really is so foundational for many of us out here in the Black community that are still, you know, uh, pounding this pavement and, you know, creating opportunities for, you know, community-rooted solutions to be scaled up. You know, I love this Be The Healing because one of the things that I, is really a center of my work is that we do have the solutions. What we don't often have are the resources because we've been intentionally divested from as a black community across this nation and the globe. And, and what we really need is, what we need is the repair of those harms. So when people talk about reparations, when they talk about funding, they talk about resources, we already have the solutions. We need y'all to pay the fee and move out the way. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate that because I think many more of us need to hear that message of how we have the opportunity to heal ourselves. Yep. You know, one of one of the things that our ancient uh, ancestors understood was that they had the power to reprogram their emotions, how they responded. You know, people always say you can't you can't control somebody else. You can only control how you respond to it. Right. And when people are like, oh, but, you know, obviously that would make someone angry. Obviously, that would make me frustrated. Obviously, that would make me worry. I actually, no, you have the power of doing that. Um, so I'm so glad that you'll be here to share your works and, and the things that you are doing. What is it about the work that you do that made you want to really connect with public schools and to really ensure that young people are getting this message now? I'll tell you, you know, I think you, when you consider the amount of time that our children spend in schools, and if I were to ask your Black audience right now, if I were to ask this question, and I pose it all over the United States. I say to them, you know, I was listening to Bernadette. You know, if Bernadette, um, you know, had an experience that was different from her her siblings, let's look across the entire, you know, diaspora, if you will, in, in the United States, Black folks. You ask a young kid that comes home with a, a D on a report card. Parent asks the kid, why did you get this D? What's going on here? And the child says, and the audience can respond, it's because my teacher doesn't answer is like me. My mm -hmm. teacher doesn't like me. Do you know how many generations of black children have come home and said, it's because my teacher doesn't like me. Now I have the science that helps understand that when children are stressed, they cannot learn. Uh, there is a, an excretion in the limbic system of cortisol, which actually blocks the capacity to learn. And that stress comes from our children's natural cultural desire to connect for relationship. And when they are when they're met with this hostility, if you will, it shuts down the mechanism to be able to learn because the stress begins to show up. And so this is why teaming up with schools and holding teachers accountable. I don't care who you are. When those who come to the presentation, I'm gonna cover a, a huge a segment around education and show a few videos, in fact, of things that are going on with in preschools because it begins early, you see. So if you, if you are looking at people in preschools that are 
um, struggling uh, because they are not, you know, being seen by their teachers or worse, being assaulted by their teachers as early as four. Then we want to want we want to know why Johnny can't read. Hello. <laughs> you know, let's start looking at what's going on. Let's listen to the children when they say my teacher doesn't like me. And why is it important, especially for black children to be liked? Those are the things as a social scientist, I had to do a deep dive into. And I started to look and see where these injuries are beginning to take place that impacts them for the rest of their, their academic careers and experience. So that's why it's a logical place to be. And trust me, talk about any teacher, I don't care what their racial background is. They have such an impact on that child's belief about what they can do, their own self-efficacy. So it starts there. Oh, I just so appreciate that. And, you know, uh, uh, I think last month we had uh, Dr. Nichols on who was talking about the axiology. Yes, absolutely. Phenomenal. Right. Uh, talking about axiology. And I, and I mentioned this so many times because many teachers do not have that understanding that black community uh, and black folks across the diaspora are member to member. So the idea of uh, them needing to be liked by their teacher and that being a foundation for them is so key. Um, you know, different ethnicities have different axiologies, but for us, that is so strong in the ways that we carry ourselves. And I, and I got to say, you know, I could do a whole session with you, Dr. DeCruz. Clearly, I am so honored that you were able to carve out some time in your busy schedule to be with us today. Um, uh, you know, we're putting the links in the comments to your website, as well as the registration link to this event that's coming up. You've been sharing what folks can expect. What is the one thing that you want them to walk away with from coming to this event that that'll be here um, Mother's Day weekend? What is the one thing you really want the audience to walk away with? I want them to walk away with a sense of their intrinsic nobility. I want them to really understand that we we were created noble and that that nobility is who we are and to walk in that and to project that, to beam light to every little face, every adult, every black being that you see, beam love and beam light because you're noble. Oh, Ashe, Ashe, I am so appreciative of your time. I will be in connection and with you. I, I'm telling you because we might need to do a whole panel or something. You know, getting people to understand these concepts is really breaking down, I think, some of the mental barriers that have been not just in black community, but in communities all over the world. The way that they even the way we see each other oftentimes is the the moniker and the staple that we stand on when we're building relationships. But when we understand all of these truths that you speak of, you can really start to break down the fact that, wait a minute, I have these, these inherent biases that I need to deal with personally. Like I, I'm, I'm not coming correct. And you can check yourself at the gate. Um, you know, so I'll say this, wherever that teacher is in the ethosphere, I know that <laughs> she is seeing you shine in all of your glory and brilliance and your divinity. Thank you so much, Dr. DeGroote, for joining me today on Feel Good Friday. Bye -bye. Amazing. Amazing. Oh my goodness, you guys. I'm telling you, we would have went over time because I could talk to Miss B and Dr. DeGruy 
for so long because these concepts are necessary for all of us to understand. And, and, and I'm telling you, this uh, show right here is getting so much love out there in the community. Sometimes people don't know about it until they come on here, but now they can share it with people that they know can benefit from some Feel Good Friday energy. It's always going to be top notch. Of course, that's what we want to do. And I'm so glad that you guys stuck it out with us today. Of course, this weekend coming up, we got Weird at Night tomorrow at 10 p.m. right here on Converge Media. You guys can check out our team over at Weird at Night, all the things that they're doing to keep it weird. I think you have the overlay. You got it. Okay, there it is. Uh, I really like this one because that face makes you wonder how weird are they going to get tomorrow night? <laughs> oh, shout out to the team over there. We so appreciate you guys for all the weirdness that you bring right here to Converge Media. And on Sunday at 8 p.m., you guys, it's truly unruly with the true fonts got to spend a little bit of time with marcus true font on monday you know they're an amazing couple and still staying connected to the community as they share their own love story well, you guys heard it yesterday. Omari let you know we're going to be taking a much needed break next week from the morning update show and Feel Good Friday. Uh, you know, we have been working tirelessly and I'm so glad that Omari and the whole team is going to have that time to really recenter, restructure. We're looking forward to coming back on May 2nd. So you guys will see us then. And until then, as always, see yourself as a part of the solution. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not in Inspired every single Feel Good Friday by T-Dub and all the things that she is doing to be connected to community while staying on top of her own artistry and the contracts that she's bringing in and then other artists as well showcasing their art. If you're not inspired by Miss B and all the work that she's doing over at CCER to ensure that an anti-racist culture is in bed in our school system and if you are not inspired by Dr. DeGruy who wrote Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome herself Self, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, I got the goosies just talking about it. I, I don't know what I can do more to inspire you to see yourself as a part of the solution. It's always great to have you guys with us, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not doing something, even if it's volunteering one hour a week or going out there and serving food to the homeless or crafting a new solution, building your own table in your community, uh, that's what this is about. The, the constant message for me is that. So please do your part. See yourself as a part of the solution. And as my co-host uh, on the Morning Update show, Big O would say. I just love this message. So I ended in Feel Good Friday with it as well. Go forward in your purpose. Go forward in your humanity until May 2nd at 11 a.m. Peace. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.